We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you in this morning. Good morning. And it's good to see you all. <laughs> you just never know what a day will bring. But we know that whatever day God sends to us is the day he intended for us. And so we look to him and we give him thanks and appreciate that he has permitted us again to come and to be here uh, for, for today's meeting. When I was here the last time, I told you that I would visit a different portion of scripture when I came again, if I had another opportunity to come. I didn't presume that I would, but I said if I did, and here we are. I've selected another book which doesn't have many verses in it, comparatively, with the rest of the books. Oh, my word. But it's not in the Old Testament. It's not another of the minor prophets. So we have to go to the other end of our Bibles, the far end, to find it. The book is Jude. Now, if you can find the book of Revelation, you can find the book of Jude. They're next-door neighbors. So that's where we plan to spend some time in this book of Jude. I find it to be quite a fascinating little book. There are 25 verses. But the things that are spoken about in those 25 verses are just enormous. It's hard to even express what it all means just to see those things written as they are. And so it says Jude. We understand that this particular Jude is the, as it says here in verse 1, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So that's Jude. So that's not telling us a lot of information about him. We do know that the name Jude is, was somewhat of a common name, and essentially the same name as, as Judas, depending on which uh, way it's rendered. And so by identifying himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ, so he gives these two things concerning himself. First, he says this bond servant, and then he says he's a brother of James. What else might he have said? 
connected right to what we see. He might have said, I am also the brother of the one to whom I am now a bond servant. He could have said that, but he didn't say that. Of course, we know there are people who look at what we see and not everyone takes it the same way as to how and why the things are laid out as they are. We don't concern ourselves so much with that. But what we do know and we recognize that in Matthew chapter 13 and in verse 55, we see the words we say, is this not the carpenter's son? Who are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus, right? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, or Jude? So we're submitting to you that this Jude that we are referring to now in this book is the same one referred to there in Matthew chapter 13 and in verse 55, that this is the same person. Of course, there was an infamous Jude, and of course, we would not want to, to be a confusion between the infamous Jude and this Jude. Who was the infamous Jude? He was a betrayer, the ultimate betrayer. So he had a distinguished title, but it was awful evil, recognized. You know, it's better to be unrecognized than to have to be recognized for being the epitome of evil. A lot of people want to be recognized. They like that. But recognized for what? So we have this man, Jude. He identifies himself as a servant. A servant. Now, the idea of a servant, as is it's used here, is the notion that this is one who gives himself up to another's will. He gives him up, himself up to another's will. He's a servant. He's serving. He has objectives to accomplish. He has things to do. He has an agenda. But it's not all about him and what he wants to do because he's a servant. He's a bond servant. And if he's a bond servant or servant as Jude identifies himself here, then the most important thing that he is doing is the bidding of the one to whom he is in this relationship with, the one with whom he has this relationship and so he's not in himself, as it were. He's not into himself, trying to boast a boost, boast about who he is or what he might be in and of himself. He's a servant. But it is important to recognize that servanthood and servitude takes many forms and fashions in many places and many times and different 
different forms. And we know that oftentimes when we use the word or hear the word slave or bond slave or something like that, it brings along a negative connotation with it. And of course, colored by the history that we have in our country, but we could say probably where can you find a country that doesn't have something that of the certain sort. But that's not to get us off track from what the apostle is saying. I'm not the apostle. That's another point in debate here. We don't take him to be the apostle, but I'm going to leave that point off and not talk about that particular part of it. But he's a servant, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, so who is he? God's unique, God's one and only son, the only sufficient sacrifice, the only avenue for salvation, the only one who could provide what every person needed and still do, the only one, not one among choices, but a singular one. He is bondservant to him. And so you can think then that it would be an enormous honor for someone to be so identified. One might not take much pleasure in being a bondservant to the one who owns the company that they are employed in, to be a servant to that one. They may appreciate it to the extent that it provides adequate income for the provisions of the needs of the family. But it is not a high honor to have that kind of a servanthood, that kind of bondage is not a high honor. But Jesus Christ, to be bond in a bondage servant relation to him, That's the highest. And so now this then gets us looking at what this Jude has to say. So having identified himself, he moves on to identify the audience to whom he's speaking. We estimate that Jude is speaking somewhere in the range of 66 to 69 BC, uh, AD, somewhere in there. We don't know ex the exact date, but and we also expect and understand that he is speaking primarily uh, to Jewish or uh, Christians of a Jewish background. And we get to that because we see certain things here, say historical things and all that, which are part of the history of, of Israel, which they are fully cognizant of and aware of and are told to, to think on and to remember about those things. And so we have that. Notice now how the audience is identified. One of the things that you notice as you read through Jude is a series of what we call triads, 
a series of, of threes, uh, threes, three mentions. And we see that here. He says, to those, in verse 1, in my notes I call it 1B, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Called. Invited. Well, sometimes we use the expression, the effectual call. Those who are called to salvation. These are the ones about whom he is speaking. Not just a generic call, like somebody might might do or think of, but this is a special kind of calling that is speaking about here. And we can see that it's it's a reference to to the saints, to those who actually have already the benefit of the salvation that has been provided through the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. They have been called into that fellowship. They belong to him, whereas before they did not. Just as we who have believed belong to him, but before the day in which the transaction or the translation occurred where our faith was in alignment with God's plan and we understood and God did a work in us so that we were changed and we were not what we were before. So call, then it says sanctified. Sanctified is the idea of being holy or it could be related to a ceremonial cleanness or something of that sort, or consecrated. But it's the same, it's in the same orbit. It's sanctified, set apart for a special way, a special thing. We often talk in these terms, we say something like to the effect of to be set apart, set apart from and set apart unto, not just simply set apart, but from and unto, from the old world to the new world, from blindness and darkness and being strangers to God, to have a new life in Christ, sanctified. Preserved is another word he uses. And that's the idea of to guard, to keep, to preserve. And some, the word is used in different kinds of ways, in different contexts. It can refer to it being, there being, sometimes the word reserved is used, or preserved for, for the day of judgment to catch up to them. Could also refer to the, being preserved to the day of the ultimate of, of what God's in is for us to be forever with Him. That kind of thing. But 
when Jude identifies his audience this way, it's, very, it's a very distinct way of identifying the people to whom he is bringing this message. And that's a great thing for us to think about. Because if we hold this in our minds as we hear what it is, the content of what it is that he brings. And when he gets to the point about what the essence of the concern is that he has to address, now he's not the only one who addresses these concerns. We see it in Peter. We see it in Paul. We see it throughout the Old Testament as well, the kind of warning that he's bringing to the people. But one of the things that I found interesting is this, that he brings this to them, and he says, you are called, you are sanctified by God, you are preserved in Christ, and then he says to them the greeting. We see that in verse 2, another of the triads, and here is what he says. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, that's interesting, the way it's rendered. I understand it to be a passive. So that he's not saying to them to multiply to yourselves mercy and peace and love, but may it be multiplied to you. Who can multiply it to them? Obviously, that's God at work. And he's saying, may the, this blessing, or we want to think of the three of them, from God be your portion. May this be your portion. May this be our portion, always our portion, this mercy. The outward manifestation of pity. One of the re- things that I read about this word is the idea that it assumes there are certain assumptions built into this idea. It assumes a need, and it also assumes resources that are adequate to meet the need. That's what mercy is. There's a need. We have a need. We had needs. We always had needs. And God has the resources, the ability, the wherewithal to meet the need. Mercy. A need and someone who has the resources to fill the need. But he says to you, mercy. Then it says peace. The idea of being at rest, uh, the idea of being able to have, a, have quietness and and those kinds of things. It could be literal or figurative in the use of that particular word. But he's saying for you, and then he says love, affection, goodwill, brotherly love, these things. That word agape is used to render here. And so he says these things. He says this is what, in my way of looking at you, this is what I want for you. Now, Jude is speaking. Obviously, we can say he is a man who has the spirit of God in him. And as much, and as, much as he has the spirit of God in him, 
his sentiment that is in him is boiling over and coming out. And he's speaking out what's in his heart. His heart is overflowing. And it says these words, mercy, peace, love. Be multiplied to you. Now that's a wonderful thing. Multiply it. We think about mathematics and arithmetic and algebra and all those kinds of things. And I remember how I used to love math in my classes. And couldn't wait for math class. Some of the other ones I wasn't so keen to go to those, but, but I love math. math. And uh, so the idea of multiply. Now there are ways to aggregate value. One thing is you can do is just add. So if you have a penny, you add another one, or you say a dollar value, and we add another dollar to it. And so you aggregate, you aggregate it, and so you have, if you just add another dollar, you have two. But there's another way to aggregate, multiplication. So rather than adding one dollar to you, suppose I say, well, we're going to multiply what you have by five. Oh, my, all of a sudden, one operation still, but you have five, not one, <laughs> uh, not two as it were through the aggregation process. And so this is the kind of idea that Jesus is bringing. He's saying, be multiplied to you. He's saying, my heart's desire is that God will multiply to you these things. Mercy, peace, love. Oh, my word. Isn't that something? That's awesome. And now look at what it says when it goes to the next section here. In verse number three, he starts out like this. With the word beloved. Beloved. See, he's identified them as people who have a special relationship to God. And now he's saying, you also have a special relationship to me. Beloved. Now he begins to talk about what he has to say to them. What he has to say. It shows what his mind was focused on, what he was thinking about. And so he says here in verse 3, while I was very diligent to write to you, he was very concerned. He wanted to write to them. It was in his heart to write to them. And so he had an eagerness, a desire to write. But being a just man, being a holy man, being a righteous man, he wasn't interested to write some gossip thing that he heard to them about. He wasn't interested to write that to them, write about that to them. But he had an interest about which he wanted to write, and he was eager to do it. And what was that? He said, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. And so now he has identified himself fully with this audience whom he's identified through these words that we called out. He said, I had a desire. I had a desire. And I wanted to write about our common salvation. What's wrong with that? You know the answer to that. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a very honorable thing. 
And he wanted to do that. But he didn't do it. This letter is not about that. See, that, that salvation, that common salvation, that once for all delivered salvation, he says here, concerning our common salvation, I wanted to write about that. But I found it necessary. Oh, you might read it in your scripture to say, but I, I felt compelled or I was compelled to write to you about something else. I had a goal, I had a desire. And it was a good one. Something of which, shall I say, God approved of what his desire was to do. But remember, he was a bondservant of Jesus Christ, which means that the priority as to when and what he would do did not belong to him. It wasn't his to decide, but it was one the one to whom he was in this arrangement. It was his choice as a priority. And so it was not a hindrance from the evil one to cause him to venture off course from what he had intended. But it was God, the Holy Spirit of the Lord at work. And so what happened essentially is this, that God decided that the people at this point, they need to hear something different from what you had in mind. And this is what they need to hear just now. And so write this. So he said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, the faith. See, the, the doctrinal content that had been embraced by the believers, the faith. He said, you need to contend earnestly. You need to be diligent. You need to put some focus, some energy, some consideration to this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So that the, the truth, the package, the, what God had for the people had been delivered The message had been sent. The people had heard it. They had received it. They had believed it. But it wasn't the sort of thing where you just read through it and say, okay, I've, I heard that, I read it, I saw it, and then just move on as if the thing doesn't exist or doesn't have any more importance. You know, a lot of time when the mail comes in, I'll take a look at something and glance over it, and then I'll toss it to the bin. Why do I do that? Because it has already ex uh, exhausted its ability to be of any use to me, so I'll just toss it into the bin, right? But he said, this faith, which has once for all been delivered, you must not treat it that way. 
It is never to be tossed into the bin. In other words, it is to be forever keeping it before our faces. That's a challenge that we have. But Jude is telling these folks that they were to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. That's verse 3. And then in verse 4, now this is something that caused me pause. I mean, when I look at it and I think about it, I say, well, I know that what he is saying has a lot of, a lot of bite to it. It has a lot of importance to it. But he says, for certain men have crept in, crept in. But he says, what's the next word there? Unnoticed. Now that's that's really kind of quite a frightening thought. Because when he goes on, he talks about what that really means and what the agenda is that they are following and what wreckage they can cause and harm. And it's a grave concern. And so he's saying they must not have recourse because if they do, you will have shipwreck and that right soon. We look around and oftentimes people think about some of our institutions of higher education which were brought into existence by people who had a desire that there should be good training in the word of God. And that was the original focus. And now you look at some of those places and the word of God is not even welcome alongside the secular philosophies and all the other stuff they teach. The word of God is not even welcome an institution that was set up for the purpose of training in the word of God so that people could get the word of God and get it accurately in ways that would be helpful and beneficial to them and bring glory to God. So you say, well, how did that happen? Well, we can be certain of this. I'm using the word certain, certain is there. But it said here, the problem Jude was pointing to is that certain people had crept in unnoticed. So they came in and they became a part and they began to take up roles. And you think I was I was thinking of about the the Cold War after World War Two and and all the despite activity that went on and, and how there were these moles and people who were in high positions where they could see information that was supposed to be confidential 
and then they could forward it to their master, to their boss. They had crept in unawares. They were in the institutions, and some of them attained high leadership roles, high leadership roles in charge of taking on and ferreting out people who were the, actually themselves. You're right? Wow, that's fascinating. But anyway, they had that problem with these moles. And the world was at risk in ways that I think we still don't clearly understand. That's one thing. But what Jude is talking about is a spiritual situation here. Because God's people have been set apart and set aside. And they have a, a place in this world and these institutions. And I'm saying institutions like local churches. We're here, but the priority of what we're here for is, is not about what makes us feel good but we are here because this is God's program. And our goal is to have ourselves aligned with his program, not to substitute our own and say that's better than what God has to say about it or to suggest that he doesn't much care. So he says, Brethren, I was diligent. I, was, I really wanted to write to you about our common salvation. How awesome. And we would all be able to understand we could get great edification if, we, if he had written that and we had opportunities to look at it and read what he actually would have written in such a situation. But this thing he said crept in unnoticed. And now he says that although they have crept in unnoticed to you, God is a sovereign God, and he still is in charge, and he knows what he's doing. You just need to know what's going on among you and do what you're supposed to do. But here's what it says here in verse 4 about these ones who crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men. Ungodly men had crept in among the godly, unnoticed. This is quite intriguing to me. How is it that they could have crept in unnoticed? How could it that they could have crept in sneakily? How could that be? Jews said it was reality. But I'm asking, how could it be? See, sometimes we think, I think, that uh, how, how bad it is to be deceived, 
And sometimes when we find out that we've been deceived, it really hurts us, you know? I think about some situations back from my work and people in authority and speaking lies. And I'm thinking, but why? But I'll tell you, and I'm going to put this in one. One of those persons came back to me and said, and this is how I know, because the person came back and confessed and that made all the difference in the world. Because from that point forward, there was a good relationship between us. Before then, it was different. These people who had the infiltrators in how is it that they didn't, know, they didn't notice? I'm, I'm dwelling on that because one of the things that happened with us that we have to be conscious and pay attention to is that we, we have here good teaching. But I can say this that there's not a single one of us here who is only listening to the voices that come from this pulpit or that one. Not a single one of us is doing that. Even, so that even if everything that came out of this pulpit, of this building, by way of those who are in front teaching was correct, even if that was the case, what about for our personal lives? Have there been infiltrators, infiltration? Now we're thinking, not literally people coming in, but ideas and thoughts that have crept in unawares to us, and perhaps we've adopted them. And we don't even notice but that is contrary to what God said. Don't even, didn't even notice. You know how is the best way to get yourself in a position like that so you, so you don't notice? The best way to do it is like this. Just close this, put it off to the side, and don't pay attention to it. That's the best way to get yourself in a position for things that don't belong and are contrary to God to come in without your notice. So that means we have a job to do. To be diligent, that's the job we have. So this is an introduction to Jude. We plan to spend more time here. To me, it's really fascinating. There's some really colorful language used in here. And these triads, are really, that's really quite an interesting way of putting the, the word out, to put it out forward, the message. So that there's a lot going on here. But it's not just an exercise. Jude is not just simply writing something for the entertainment of people. Sometimes people write for an entertainment purpose. And that can be okay. 
sometimes people write to inform about things that people need to be informed about. And that's okay, too. Sometimes people write to deceive people, and that's not okay. We're going to close and we're going to pray. Our Father, we are here now only because of you, our God, who superintended our affairs so that we have come and we're here. We have opened and looked and considered a few of the words of God, and we know we need your help, and we ask by the Spirit of God that you will help us so that we will desire the things that belong to you and that we will have the awareness to notice and to discern and understand what is right and pleasing and honoring to the Lord. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus, who is our Savior, with thanks. Amen.